Welcome, everyone, to the Extraordinary Games Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dave Winchester. And before we get into the topic of the week, I just want to thank everyone for listening to the podcast, anyone who's followed, subscribed, whatever in the past month or so. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The growth has been really, really good. We're actually closing in on 300 downloads, which doesn't sound like a lot, but considering I have not promoted this podcast at all, and it doesn't seem like it's only my friends listening to it, that's actually a huge win for the show. So thank you again for listening, subscribing, uh, doing what you're doing. Just keep doing it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Make sure you tell friends that if you enjoy the podcast to have them go listen to it you know share it with people however you can get this out the more people listening the better i actually really am kind of bummed only because nobody's commented on anything yet which is a stupid thing to be bummed about because odds are whatever comments are going to come in are going to be negative but I just want to hear any sort of feedback that people might have on the show. Again, always the links are in the description down below for all the social media stuff. Probably the easiest way to get in contact with me is through Facebook, where you can find me at the Extraordinary Games page. I constantly am updating stuff there, throwing up videos for the YouTube stuff. Um, I'm going to be doing a trailer for the podcast and trailer for the YouTube channel it's coming soon. So hopefully that helps get the word out. But again, just keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate everything that you do. And for those of you who are new to the show, make sure you follow or subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, just to catch up on what I've been doing for the past like week, I finally finished Tormented Souls. Excellent game. Can't recommend it enough. I will be doing a review on it eventually. Like legitimately just a review. It's going to be like a review podcast. Probably just going to be myself talking about it because nobody else has played the game. But just look forward to that in the future. For those of you who are into like old school survival horror stuff with like fixed camera angles and tank controls and things like that. You'll probably love Tormented Souls. But I will get into the good and bad of the game when I do the review. So just look out for that podcast. Uh, since I'm finally done with Tormented Souls, I have started playing God of War Ragnarok, which is amazing. Absolutely incredible game i'm enjoying it so far i'm going to be trying to powerhouse through it in the next couple of weeks although i am going on vacation for a little bit next week so i don't know how much of it i'm going to get to play probably mostly going to be playing switch stuff since i'm going out of town on top of that the only other thing i've done the past week is just continue to watch the weekly episodes of the last of us which if you aren't watching this show for the love of god watch the last of us it's the best video game adaptation I have ever seen. I, and I've seen them all, all the way back to the original Mortal Kombat movie, the Street Fighter movie, uh, the really bad Super Mario Brothers movie. Wow, there have been a lot of really bad video game ad adaptations. But anyways, yeah, if you haven't seen The Last of Us show yet, watch it. Even if you aren't a fan of the game or have never played the game, I would recommend watching the show and then playing the game after. I don't think you're going to really miss out on too much because I, f I always feel like playing a game and watching media is like two different things. One's very interactive and it's more about the, the journey when you're playing a video game, whereas a show is more passive, but maybe that's just my take on it. That, that's pretty much it. So that's all I wanted to talk about for the stuff that I've been doing and what's going on. Now this episode, it being the 10th episode of the podcast, I really wanted to do something special and I was 
trying to find somebody that could come on to the show to do something. But then I just decided, you know what, instead of trying to just do like a regular episode, I want to do like a look into my world and how I think about video games. So what I decided to do was my top five video games of all time. So that's what this episode is. You probably already know it because you've you've read the title at some point in time, unless you just like started the podcast without even like looking at it. But yeah, it's going to be my personal top five video games of all time. Again, tons of people do these lists. Uh, It's not like, oh, I think these are the greatest, most perfect games ever created. But for me personally, these are the games I will continue to go back to, continue to play, enjoy no matter how many times I play them. And just it's what really made me love video games. These are the five games that either got me into video games even more so than I already was at the time or gave me a new appreciation for what video games can do and how they can really tell a story or provide me with like a very unique experience. So just keep that in mind. So without further ado, here are my top five video games of all time. Kicking off my top five favorite video games of all time, I have to really preface it with this. I'm going to give some backstory to when I was playing these games, why they're so important to me. This is not just going to be a technical breakdown of why these games are good, although there will probably be some of that in this whole podcast. But just for the most part, this is, like I said, why I personally think these are some of the greatest games ever made. And just keep that in mind as you listen to this, because this is not going to be like a crazy, like, this is why this game is the greatest game ever made, rah, 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 rah. It's going to be why this game is so important to me and why I personally think this game is so good. So to start things off, number five, Fantasy Star Online. Now, I was probably about 15 years old when I first started to play this. And I had a group of friends that I would go skating with all the time. We'd go to the skate park, hang out, the whole nine. But it just so happened to be during a very brutal heat wave summer. So we could probably only skate for like two hours before we would start to get so run down and dehydrated and like have to go back to our houses and like cool off in the air conditioner. Luckily for me, I had a Dreamcast that was connected to the internet. I had somehow convinced my parents to pay for internet access even though they did not want any part of it and on top of that i convinced them to allow me to sign up for the sega.net service so i could play games online on my dreamcast so before fantasy star or at least i think it was before fantasy star i was playing like unreal tournament online and quake 3 arena online on the dreamcast which by the way not very fun to play considering those games did not have dual analog sticks you don't realize how hard it is to play a first-person shooter on a console until you try playing it with like one analog stick and I don't even know how the hell it controlled like you I couldn't even tell you how those games controlled but anyways uh, a few months after I had started doing that I picked up Fantasy Star Online and it was kind of on a whim because I played the Fantasy Star games on the Sega Genesis and they were single-player games where 
kind of like the Sega version of Final Fantasy, except for it took place in space. So I was really intrigued by Fantasy Star Online because my friends and I at the time were playing a lot of Diablo 2 on the computer. And that was like a huge thing where you'd have like two or three friends, you'd go and pretty much just like run through the campaign of Diablo and rinse and repeat trying to collect, you know, rare and unique items. And when I saw Fantasy Star Online and saw that it was 3D, you know, something that I could play in my bedroom versus playing it downstairs in my living room on my computer like I was doing with Diablo, I thought, hey, sure, why not? Like, I'll pick this game up and see how it goes. And I had no idea how just straight up addicted I would get to this game. For those of you who have not played Fantasy Star Online, and it's probably going to be quite a few people just because it's so old now. Like, Fantasy Star Online came out, I think, in the year 2000, like the very end of the year or the beginning of 2001. I really don't remember because, like, there was a Japanese launch and then there was an American launch, and I had been reading about it so often. But I picked it up and it was just so crazy because, like, it was everything that Diablo was in my mind. Like, everything that Diablo 2 did on the computer, except for in, like, a different, you know, 3D environment. And it also had all this, like, sci fi stuff. It was kind of like right after Star Wars Episode 1 The Phantom Menace came out. So the whole lightsaber thing was like like back in, like everybody wanted lightsabers. And if you played a hunter character in this game, then you got to use like these crazy, I forgot what they called, they might have just been called sabers, but they were like lightsabers. And if you got to a high enough level and you're lucky enough, you can get what's called a double saber. So imagine like a Darth Maul-like saber, except for it was like shaped a little bit more like a sword. You can get stuff like that. Like all the weapons were just so unique because they're so sci-fi, but yet they had like these throwback like swords. Like if you were using just like a normal two-handed sword, it was as big as like Cloud Sword in Final Fantasy VII. So that was cool because, you know, Final Fantasy VII was still huge. Even back then, it still had like this whole epic hype around it. Like no game would ever be as good as Final Fantasy VII. And they, I swear, the developers had to have known this because everything that they threw into this game it made you just want to like grind and play it more and it was so simplistic so for those of you that don't know what the gameplay of fantasy star online is you literally like start off when you log in and go to like this ship and the ship only has pretty much a counter around it and it's where you would set up your your parties but in this ship in this like ship this is kind of like the main server area so you have a ton of people from like all different parts of the world like congregating in the server and you can kind of like group up and talk to people um, in this ship area and then you go over to the counter you make a game uh, you name it you give it a password if you want to lock people out or you can leave it open if you want people to join in and you could only have th- like three other people join you so you could see like if there was like two out of four people in a room then you could probably join that room Sometimes you would try to join at the same time other people wouldn't get kicked, but, you know, that's besides the point. But the whole purpose of this is before you started a mission, you can, like, all meet up in this one lobby, talk to each other, figure out what you want to do, and then, you know, go start a game and hop right in. And inside, there were, like, quests that you could do, or you could just run through the main story of the game. So there was, like, you started off in the forest level. Once you went through the first two levels of that and fought the boss, you went on to caves and then after caves you did mine and after mine i forgot what the last area was called 
but it was like an alien spaceship. And you could just kind of like, you know, go through that. And if you wanted to do side quests to earn Maceto, which is the, the cash, you could do that as well. But there was like, so it sounds so simplistic and it really was at the time. But the, the whole draw of the game was to make your character cooler. Like just looking cooler, having cooler weapons. Uh, you had what was called a mag that would follow you around and the mag boosted your stats. So imagine like this little floating like icon that was over your character's shoulder the entire time. And depending on what you fed it, they would turn into like, they would evolve into something else, kind of like Pokemon. And you could feed it like certain things that would boost just your strength stat or just your magic stat. So there were tons of builds that you could do in this game as well. And not only that, you could have like multiple characters. Like I like playing hunters, which are your basic melee character of the game. But there were not only just like you had your standard hunter, you had a human hunter that could cast magic as well. Or you could have like a cyborg hunter that couldn't cast magic but did more damage. There was just so much depth to the game and so it, it sounds so simplistic, but it, it was simplistic, but it was also super fun. It was fun being able to go online, talk to other people, get into a game and play. And the other crazy ass part, and a lot of people don't even realize how like nutty this is. Because like I said, this was back in the early 2000s. There was a translation app built into the game itself. So if you joined a server and there were other players from other countries like Mexico or whatnot, and they were talking, it would actually automatically translate that so that way you could read it. And then you could have like so many more people to interact with because you weren't like blocked off by this whole language barrier, which was really cool. And I, ha I met so many people playing this game and I probably clocked in like hundreds and hundreds of hours in because not only did I play Fantasy Star Online when it came out on the Dreamcast, it came out with later on, I think it was like six months or a year later, they came out with Fantasy Star Online uh, version 2. And version 2 was just a little bit of added content. You can get up to, I think, level 200 or 250. There were more weapons, like tons of other things that you could do, just more activities overall. And then even after that, when I moved on to Xbox, they came out with an Xbox version of the game, which I, I ended up playing for like probably another year after that. And even though the graphics weren't the best by the time the Xbox version came out, because it, it must have come out in like 2003 or 2004 because Xbox Live was already out and that didn't launch with the original Xbox. But I played that game a ton on Xbox as well. And after that, Fantasy Star just moved on to Fantasy Star Universe, which I didn't really care for. And now they're on Fantasy Star Online 2, which is like the actual sequel that's been out since 2014. But it, nothing just nothing grasped me as good as the original Fantasy Star Online. There's something about the aesthetic of the game where it's very anime. The loop of the game where y you actually, like, when you attack, you have to do it in a specific timing pattern. You can't just, like, mash a button. And something about that was very satisfying. Because in the heat of the moment, you have to remember, like, I'm not going to, like, just keep mashing the X button to attack. Like, I'm going to have to, like, think about this and time it perfectly because if not I'm going to whiff an attack and then I'm going to be left open. It's just like little stuff like that that made that game so unique and that's why it's one of my favorite games ever and I, I like I said in the beginning like I started playing this during the summer where it was super hot and like half the time I was indoors and couldn't do anything else and it was such a good just time sink. Like I was either out skating with my friends at their house playing video games or like at home playing Fantasy Star Online and that was really it. 
and this game got me through like a crazy amount of hardship like because I, I hated high school and I hated my classes and coming home and being able to like delve into this other world as sad as it sounds really got me through that because I could forget everything about school and how much people were assholes there and how much I hated my teachers and all that stuff and just dive into this game and forget all the crap that that pissed me off for at least like a couple hours and that's why this is my number five greatest game of all time My number four greatest game of all time is going to go to Dark Souls. Yes, this game had to come up sometime because by now you must all know I'm a huge Souls fan. And this is really where my passion for the series started. I did play Demon Souls before this game because it won Game of the Year for GameSpot uh, a few years before this game came out. And as much as I love Demon Souls, there's something about it that never really hooked me as much as I thought it should. Maybe it was the fact that the le the levels for the game were segmented the way they were, or maybe it was because, you know, the graphics weren't as great as I thought they were going to be considering what console it was on. There are a lot of things that I think Demon's Souls does well, but there's also so much room for improvement in that game. And then when you go to Dark Souls, it just seems like they nailed every single part of what they were trying to achieve in Demon's Souls. You now had this huge open world where you can explore pretty much to your heart's desire. Like right from the start of the game, after you get through that tutorial area, you can get lost and go through the graveyard and then head, up, head down and fight Pinwheel. Or you can, you know, go to where the game should send you initially, which is the Undead Berg, and work your way through that. And then the game just keeps opening up and opening up and opening up and there's so many different paths you can take and so much that you can do. But the reason why this game is on the list is because I never thought I would see a game like this come out. There's something about Dark Souls that just hits everything that I really enjoy about gaming. Not only is it super difficult, but the combat is so satisfying. Like, it's not just satisfying because the bosses beat your ass over and over again, and then eventually you conquer them and get to, like, rub it in their face like, haha, I kicked your ass. But it's one of those things where the combat just feels so much better than anything else that had come out before it. Like, I remember distinctly playing games like Skyrim, and although Skyrim's great, the combat sucks. The combat is just not fun and even though the combat in Skyrim is better than Oblivion or Morrowind before it it's still not very satisfying it's very I, I don't know how to explain it but it's just one of those things where it's it's fun for the game that it's in but it's not actually fun combat when you compare it to something else and then when you play a game like Dark Souls Dark Souls and I'm gonna get shit for saying this plays kind of like a fighting game where you have your different attacks. You have your block. You can kick an enemy if they have the shield up and that will knock them back so you can attack them. You can do lunging attacks. There's magic. There's 
all sorts of crazy shit. Pyromancy was introduced in this game. And all that stuff kind of coalesces into this like freeform game where you can make all these different builds for characters and all of them are pretty viable as long as you know at least a little bit what you're doing and what the stats do. And then on top of that, you have this huge expansive story that goes along with the environments that you're in and it just meshes so well together. And I remember when I first started playing this game, I had actually gotten it for my birthday from my brother. And I don't know if I actually asked for this game or if he just saw it in a store and gave it to me. I, I have no idea. I know it was a used copy from GameStop because it didn't have the manual in it. And it's still actually the copy I have to this day. I think I might have gotten it resurfaced a while back um, because it wasn't in the best condition. But I'm pretty sure like that's the actual copy that's chilling in my game collection right now. And when I got the game, I was like, okay, cool, I'll give it a shot. And I played it, and I think I died, you know, like everybody does during that, that first uh, introductory sequence when the, the demon comes down and, and pretty much wrecks you if you don't run by him. And I made it to the starting area. But then I, I literally didn't know where to go in the starting area because I thought I had to go and, you know, fight all the skeletons that were nearby, and they were whipping my ass, so I, I didn't do that. And I don't think I saw the stairs leading up to the Undead Berg. So I put the game down for a little bit. And a few months later, I, I must have been bored. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to give this game a shot. And I popped it back in. I noticed where I had missed the first time, the stairs going up to the Undead Berg. And I started getting a feel for the combat because I, I'd played previously Demon's Souls. So I knew you know, what the combat was kind of like. And I just, I just couldn't stop. I just kept going. Every time I saw something cool, I was like, oh shit, I'm going to keep playing this game so I can see what's next. So from the time that you see like the first dragon and you know it, it comes down and lands on the bridge and flies away, it's like, holy shit. And then you see the, the dragons like a little bit further on. And you're like, oh fuck, do I, get to, do I get to fight those? That blew my mind. It was just like these crazy mythical creatures hanging out in this game. And it makes it seem like you're not a part of the world because all these things seem so much bigger and more grand than what you are and there's not a lot of games that that do that like when you come across the first dragon in skyrim and i hate comparing the two games but they came out almost around the same time like dark souls came out a few years before skyrim actually when you see the first dragon there the game encourages you to go and try to kill it when you see the first dragon in Dark Souls, you run your ass off. And that's what you should do. Like, you see a dragon that can kill you. And I, I'm pretty sure if you're not prepared, a lot of the time they'll actually end up killing you. So you could be trying to cross the bridge and they'll spray fire and you'll just die. And after a while, you just get used to it. In other games, that would, that would seem cheap, them just killing you so many times. But you're expected to die so many times in Dark Souls that you end up just getting used to it. The only issue I had with the game was there are certain areas of it where I just didn't know where to go. Like when I first got to Ann Orlando and you have to walk across the scaffolding to get into, you know, the, the cathedral, I didn't know what to do there. I, I'm pretty sure I just like missed the entire scaffolding. Like I didn't see the little um, trebuchet that you have to like, as trebuchet, I don't know what it is, but like that little um, like thing that you have to walk up the little walkway to get up into the cathedral. I had no idea. I had no idea that was even there. I had to look that stuff up. And eventually I ended up like delving into the wikis once I had beaten the game, not really beforehand, but once I had completed the game the first time and I figured out where to go, I would, I would like the first playthrough, I would look up stuff like 
if I was completely lost and had no idea what I was doing. But then on like successive playthroughs, I would go back and look at the Wikipedia and see like what types of things I was missing, like what um, boss weapons I didn't have and other things like that. And I eventually ended up getting all a thousand achievement points in the game and then doing this like the DLC after the fact as well. And I just was so addicted to what this game was. And I can critique it all day. Like I talk about this game at work to people that play Souls games. And even though it's my favorite Souls game, it's not perfect. Like the the story's very hard to get a handle on because of the way it's told, where it's pretty much you're getting as much story as you're willing to like look for. So the game's not going to dish you out a lot of story as you go through. There's no real cutscenes or anything besides boss introductions. And if you want any backstory on characters, you kind of have to hunt them down and talk to them all the time to figure out what the hell is going on or, you know, why they are the way they are or where they are. So that's one of the strangest parts of the game because it was unlike anything that I had played before. Every other game I played before would give me a cutscene about what I should know about and where I should go and what I should do. And this game didn't do that. This game expected me as the player to go and hunt down these parts of the story to figure out what I should be doing next and where I should be going and if there's anything that I need to get to the next area, which was really interesting. It treats it like an actual D&D game, which I know that's what Miyazaki was going for to begin with. But nothing like this had really existed before besides Demon's Souls, and I think Dark Souls just did it so much better. And I'm so glad that this game ended up being as popular as it was and getting a whole series. Now it has like its own genre. That's crazy to me considering how difficult it was and how hard it was for even a person like me who played video games since I could remember to actually get into it. But with that being said, this game is one of the greatest games of all time. Anytime somebody asks what Souls game they should start with, I always say Dark Souls over any other. And I can't recommend it enough. It's just so good. Every part of the game, from the environments to the enemies, to the combat, to the lore, everything is just, it's just almost perfect in my eyes. So that's why it's my number four greatest game of all time. Moving on to the third greatest game of all time, in my opinion, it actually pains me that this game is this low on the list, but when I was coming up with the list, I just, I couldn't put it any higher because the two games that are ahead of this one are so damn good. So for number three, I am putting in Resident Evil 2 on the PlayStation or GameCube or Dreamcast or whatever you decide to play it on, but the original Resident Evil 2 that came out way back in 1998. So let me set this whole scenario up. It's 1998. I am at this point 12 or 13 years old, 12 years old, and I come across an issue of some gaming magazine, and inside it has a review for Resident Evil Director's Cut. So I'm instantly intrigued because I love horror movies. My parents 
were crazy when I was younger and decided that horror movies apparently were fair game from the age of five years old. So from the age of five years old, the first movie I distinctly remember watching, I believe was Friday the 13th. And after that was Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't think it was the original Friday the 13th. It might have been like part like five or six or something like that. But I had been watching horror movies like my entire young childhood. Um, and I think like a few years before I saw this, I ended up seeing uh, Return of the Living Dead, which is one of the greatest zombie movies of all time. So when I was going through this magazine and I saw a full spread on this zombie horror game, I was like, I got to have it. Unfortunately, I was a broke child. But I did have a Hollywood video next to me. And my parents ended up bring me, bringing me to Hollywood video one afternoon. And I convinced them to let me rent Resident Evil Director's Cut. Now keep in mind, I again am only like 12 years old at the time. I somehow managed to get through a majority of Resident Evil Director's Cut with my first rental. I don't know if I was like a child genius or whatnot, but holy shit. Like just, just imagine the original Resident Evil, how hard the item management is in that game on top of just the combat and the controls did it with one rental almost all the way through. I kept my save file, came back to it. And I think it took me like one or two more uh, rentals in order to actually finish the game. So by this time it's July, my birthday rolls around I asked for this game for my birthday. I don't know if it was out then. I'm pretty sure it came out in like March of 1998, but I ended up not getting it for my birthday. So I keep asking for it. I keep asking for it. My parents being the loving people that they are ended up getting me Resident Evil 2 for Christmas. And I distinctly remember getting the game being so freaking excited that I have gotten this game that I like ran upstairs instantly. It was a like weird, foggy, possibly snowy, like Christmas morning. And my parents were like, you know, we gotta go to, you know, your aunt's house to do this. And we're going over your grandmother's house to do that. And I was just like, fuck, fuck, fuck. I need to play Resident Evil 2. So I plopped myself down in my bedroom, closed all the curtains and just started playing as much as I could. And I was completely blown away at how much the game was just better than Resident Evil Director's Cut in almost every way. And for some reason, even to this very day, like I can imagine Raccoon City. Like Raccoon, I know Raccoon City and those areas in Resident Evil 2 better than I probably know my own house or work. Like I know every dumpster, I know where every ammo location is in that game. I can tell you where every fucking typewriter is. I can tell you where all the key cards are. I can fucking speed run that game. And it wasn't just because like I liked it so much. It's because the layout of the game was so fucking good. Each room was so unique. I knew exactly where I was going in it. The camera angles actually were really good comparatively to the original Resident Evil game. Not only that, the soundtrack to this fucking game is some of the best music ever put in a video game. The one complaint I really have about the Resident Evil 2 remake is that they did not use the fucking soundtrack from the original game, like, at all. It, like, you can use it, like, you can buy it as a add-on or it came with a deluxe edition, 
but why didn't they just like remake some of those songs and put them into the game because they're so fucking good like i can hear the main hall music in my head right now just thinking about it and like i can hear the library music i can hear the safe room music all of that stuff is so iconic i don't know how they didn't put it in the remake but yeah the the fucking audio in the game is spectacular you hear bullets like the casings hitting the ground every footfall you hear the shuffle of the zombies the way the liquor breathes like the audio design in this game was so far beyond anything that anyone's ever done before it fucking blows my mind it, it still to this day holds up really well not only that everybody bitches about the tank controls there's a fucking dual shock version for this game like if you really hated the tank controls that much i'm pretty sure like a few months or a year later they came out with a dual shock version where you can just use the dual shock controller they added so much shit to this game too you have hunk and tofu bonus missions after the fact there are essentially four different scenarios in the game because if you play it through as Leon and then Claire, you can also go and play through it as Claire and then Leon and everything's different. Well, not everything, but a majority of the game is changed at least in a somewhat a significant way in my opinion. Then you had the zapping system, which again pisses me off. That is not in the Resident Evil 2 remake, but I'm not going to bitch and moan about it. But in the original Resident Evil 2 there's a locker where you can pick up either um, a submachine gun or you can pick up an extra like carrying bag to expand your inventory and whatever you don't pick up is left for the next character when they come through which is awesome same thing with uh, there's a room at the end of the game where I believe there's like a tyrant capsule located and in order to get into that room you have to play through the first time, make sure you register your fingerprints as the first character. Then when you go through as the second character, you have to do it again. And if you don't do it the first time, the second character can't get in the room because it needs two sets of fingerprints. Like shit like that is like, they don't do that in games. Like they never did that in games. So it's, it just boggles my mind. Like it's so fucking good. I can't, I can't state how amazing this game is in my mind. And I know it's going to sound crazy and it sounds like this should be my number one game, but I have a reason why it's not my number one game, but it's, it's just so fucking good. And even the graphics, like the backgrounds hold up so well, the pre-rendered backgrounds honestly are, are so genius because you can compare them to most games like nowadays. And yeah, it's like 32 bits with compression, like the whole fucking, it's not going to be as good as you're going to be able to get in like 4k but the backgrounds hold up still. Like you can still tell what things are in the environment and it still looks very realistic. And the lighting that they put in those scenes is so fucking good. And yeah, the character models aren't the best, but they do their job. You know what you're looking at. Yeah, this is PlayStation 1. So like characters mouths don't move and shit, but even still that, that doesn't really matter to me. And last but not least, this is the best Resident Evil story. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Like, the original story in Resident Evil 1 is really good, but it's fucking campy as hell. And when you're talking about a zombie outbreak in an entire city, like, this game does it. This game does it. It makes it believable. It makes it cool. Like, there's so much, like, backstory that you can find in logs and shit. It's, it's insane. Like, the, the amount of work 
that they probably put into this game, especially considering it's originally scrapped. Like there was a Resident Evil 1.5 out there that was close to completion, and they said like "fuck that shit," and then just rebuilt this masterpiece. <sighs> it's just it's so fucking good. It's so good. So for those of you who have never played Resident Evil 2 on the PlayStation or Dreamcast or GameCube or wherever the fuck you can find it, please do. It, like you can beat the entire game, both scenarios in like six hours. So it may not sound like a lot of game, but there's so much in this fucking game and it's just the right length and it's got a good story and it's got like decent characters, cool weapons. I, th I think everything is there. I think if I'm going to say that a game is as close to perfect as it can possibly be, it's probably going to be Resident Evil 2. So, yeah. The Resident Evil 2, my number three game of all time. There you go. So I actually recorded this one a few days ago and after mulling over it for a few days I realized I had to go back and do it because I, I did it kind of a disservice the first time I talked about it. So my number two favorite game of all time is Silent Hill 2 on the PlayStation 2 or Xbox or wherever you want to play it just for the love of God don't play the remastered or HD collection version of the game. And there's a, a ton of reasons why. And First and foremost, let me just say that I did not ever think this game would crack into my like top five games of all time when I first played it. I played it all the way back when it first launched on the Xbox. It was one of the first games that I had purchased on the original Xbox. And I think I was probably around 16 years old at the time that I played it. And the reason I played it was because the original game I had such fond memories of. The original game was one of those games that I had no expectation of ever playing. But back when it came out in 1999, I had come home from school and my next door neighbor, Eric, had actually somehow acquired a copy of the original Silent Hill. And I didn't think that was even going to be a thing because that game was like so far rated M for Mature that I never thought I'd ever see it. And yeah, like my parents had gotten me Resident Evil 2 for Christmas. But this game just like was so insane. It had like zombie babies in it and all sorts of crazy stuff. So he had acquired a copy of the game. And I want to say it was actually the same night that he had gotten it or maybe the, the following night. We had decided that we were going to marathon the original Silent Hill. Like the whole game overnight during a sleepover. Because his, his mom, I don't know if she worked overnight or if she hung out at uh, her sister's house or whatever. But there were a lot of times where we would have sleepovers and his mom wouldn't be around. So we would literally just play video games all night and then make like breakfast foods and just like like pound sugar and try to stay awake as long as possible and get through these things. And one of those nights we had, you know, decided that we were going to try to beat Silent Hill in one sitting. We were huge Resident Evil fans. 
and we wanted to see how good this random Konami kind of Resident Evil ripoff was going to be. So I went over his house and we started Silent Hill 1 and we made this like pact that if somebody had died or if they were like stuck on a puzzle then we would pass off the controller and while one person was playing Silent Hill the other person was you know playing on uh, the computer because my friend had a decent PC at the time and we had played stuff like like Vampire um, I can't remember it was one of the vampire games but we would play that on the computer and then just switch back back and forth and all night the only puzzle we really got stuck on was the piano puzzle in the original Silent Hill but we we eventually ended up getting through the entire game in one night and I distinctly remember finishing it and we decided that we were gonna make some waffles go out on his front porch and watch the sunrise and that's one of the best nights I think I've ever had playing video games it's just it's so ingrained in my memory so when Silent Hill 2 came out I decided like I really want to play this game and I want to like marathon it same way except for at the time me and my friend Eric were like no longer friends so I was just gonna like solo run this thing and when I purchased it I, I thought it was like really amazing graphically but the story kind of went over my head while I played it like the the huge twist that I'm not gonna ruin um, that hit me and I was like wow that that's really crazy but going back into the game years later and after multiple playthroughs and figuring out like all the enemies and why they exist in that world and all like the deep emotional things and threads that connect the story together after finding out all that stuff i've come to appreciate silent hill 2 more as a video game than almost any other game that I've ever played. Like so much work went into this and there's so much like really deep thought into how these characters behave and how they're acting and why they are the way they are and all the trauma they've had and how everything kind of coalesces into like one perfect survival or psychological horror game. Not only that, but this game actually looks amazing. Like if you play it on the original PlayStation 2 hardware on a CRT, it just looks better than almost anything at the time that was, was coming out. And it still holds up today. Like the lighting and the effects in this game are spectacular. Like you have per pixel lighting that comes from the flashlight and everything casts shadows. The character models are still good, even though the animations, as far as like the actual in-game movements are kind of weird. The cutscenes and the CG cutscenes and the in-game cutscenes, like all of it, everything looks very, very clean and very, very almost modern it's weird to say that about a game that is now over 20 years old but everything holds up very well even to this day and the only thing that i'm really upset about is the fact that there's no real easy way to play this game in its original form in like its original perfect form on modern consoles the hd collection for those of you that don't know and want to play this game, that's the only thing you can get your hands on. Just so you know, the HD collection is not a good representation of the game. It's made from faulty source code that wasn't finalized. So like the shadows don't work correctly in the game. And there's issues with the sound. And even in games like, um, even in the Silent Hill 3 
on the HD collection. Silent Hill 3 they had to use different voice actors for and none of the audio syncs up correctly. And even though these games were patched, they just don't work as well. So if you're going to play these games, make sure you either emulate them or you go and get real hardware and play it that way, which kind of sucks because these games are getting really, really expensive. Like, I was just pricing Silent Hill 2. Like, I have a copy of it, but I wanted the greatest hits version because it has a little bit of extra content. It's, like, up above $100 right now. And same thing with Silent Hill 3. So I, I don't normally recommend people emulate things like this, but in this scenario if the only way to play the game without spending like four hundred dollars between hardware and the game itself is to emulate it please emulate it and pcsx2 emulates the game very well and that's the the way i would recommend to play it and for those of you who think like oh it's backwards compatible on the 360 it doesn't work all of the textures get swapped out for some reason and like the ground just looks like newspaper. There's all sorts of weird issues, so you can't even do it that way. If you have like an original Xbox and a, an Xbox copy of the game, absolutely go with that. It's not that far off from the PlayStation 2 version. The only big complaint I have about that in particular is the fact that the, uh, the CG cutscenes run at a really like bad frame rate and they're very heavily compressed using the Bink video. That's why I would say just like honestly, emulate it on the ps2 if you can or if you have a pc you can actually you can probably find ways to play it on pc there is a a like whole remake or remaster i guess patch for it which makes the game very playable because the original pc version of the game is is god awful but if you use the patched version with the fan-made patch it looks great it goes into high high definition resolution mode so you can play it that way and use a controller and outside of the PlayStation 2 version of the game, that's the way I would recommend you play it. But for those of you who like don't know what Silent Hill 2 is, I'm not going to spoil any of it for you. Just know that if you're into any sort of like psychological horror stuff or even survival horror stuff, this is a must-play game. Like I said, it wasn't in my top five. Like, if I would have gave you a list of my top five games back in 2001, 2002, this game would have been nowhere, nowhere near that list, even though it was, like, brand new and hot stuff at the time. But going into deep dives about the storyline and, like, really what the technical aspects of the game are, there, I just have so much appreciation for it. So if you haven't played it, please play it. And now you know the best ways to play it just by listening to this. So that's also awesome. Okay, so before we get into my favorite game of all time, what I consider to be one of the greatest games ever created, I do have some honorable mentions, and all of them do kind of have some backstory to it, and they probably were in my top five at some point in time until they got shuffled around or something else came out and it moved down the list or I played a game more or whatever. Anyways, so the first honorable mention that I'm going to throw out there is going to be Life is Strange and Life is Strange Before the Storm. The reason I'm putting this on here is because at the time I was going through a very, very rough breakup. And on top of that, I actually had pinched my sciatic nerve working out. So I was in excruciating pain for probably the better part of six months. And those six months just kind of happened to overlap with the release of Life is Strange, the original game. And the, the thing about this game, the writing is 
awful. Like, if you're looking at, like, the writing in a vacuum in the script and what these kids are saying in this game, it's really, really cringeworthy. With that being said, the story itself is actually really, really good. And the story as a whole, without the cringeworthy writing, is actually really fucking good. And for those of you who haven't played the game, I'm not going to spoil any of it for you. But it's pretty much you play as a teenager, uh, this girl, Max, who can somehow rewind time. So every decision you make in the game, and it plays like Walking Dead or any other kind of like point and click game. But any, any decision that you make, you can actually rewind it back and change it if you decide. With the exception of, I think, one or two scenarios in the game where you're kind of forced into making a decision right there on the spot. And whatever you deci- whatever decision you make there, you're kind of stuck with. Besides those instances, almost every instance in the game, you can just rewind if you want to change your mind or figure something else out. Um, again, I don't want to ruin the story for you. I think it's a really good plot just as a whole. Like the, the characters, for the most part, are very likable, even though some of the shit they say is just like just god awful and like it you can tell it was definitely not written by anybody who knows how american teenagers talk but if you're taking it like you have to look at it for the entirety of what it is and not just like the the sentences that you're getting in each dialogue you know situation it's so if you take the story just as as a whole it's really fucking good and this game came out in episodic form so it's five episodes and I played them as they were released. And I remember playing this game and I played through the first episode and I was like, wow, that was a really interesting episode. And I, I like, I really want to play the second one. And then it was like, I want to say like a month or two gap before I got to play the second one. And this is the only game that I have ever played where as the episodes were releasing, I was playing them right away. A lot of the time, I would just wait for the entire game to come out and then just download it all at once because I didn't feel like waiting. But this game hooked me so hard that every time a an episode was released, I had to play it and I had to figure out what the hell was going on. And when all was said and done and I had finished the story, I thought it was just a really good emotional ride and it was an awesome escape for what I was going through at the time. And with that being said, it's just an amazing game to kind of lose yourself in as a whole. It kind of sucks that the developer going forward didn't do as good of a job on the follow-up Life is Strange 2. But I will say that Before the Storm, which is a prequel to this game, is written much, much better than the original Life is Strange is and still tells a really, really strong story. It just doesn't have that rewind feature that the original Life is Strange had. But I recommend, like, if you're going to play uh, a, a game like this, The Walking Dead, Telltale's The Walking Dead is really, really good. But I would say Life is Strange is right up there with it. Just because the rewind feature saves, like, so much time and energy. Like, the amount of times I'd have to, like, restart or redo an episode in something like The Walking Dead, and it would annoy the hell on me, it, it just, it sucked. Whereas in Life is Strange, being able to be like, you know what, I really, that, that decision kind of sucked, and I can go back and change it was really cool to me and it doesn't really change anything super super dramatic in the overall story of the game but it does allow you to kind of actually make decisions that you want to make without being rushed into them which is really cool 
But yeah, Life is Strange, honestly, I think a majority of people will never play this game or probably don't like it or probably think it's awful because of the dialogue. But I personally think it's a spectacular game. I have the collector's editions for both Life is Strange and Before the Storm. And I actually uh, love Life is Strange True Colors. I think the games are just overall excellent. And I hope they keep making them. My second honorable mention is going to go to Ninja Gaiden Black on the Xbox. And I'm specifically calling out Ninja Gaiden Black because Ninja Gaiden Black is one of those games that they changed enough of it from the original Ninja Gaiden that it it made it almost an entirely different game. Not only did they add like a movable camera, which is huge because the original Ninja Gaiden didn't have that. You had to camera reset after almost every attack. Now you could just move it with the, the right analog stick, which is fucking amazing. But they added a ton of new modes. They added in stuff like a, a leaderboard system where a bunch of people could like see who got the highest karma and win prizes actually from uh, from Team Ninja, which is really cool. They, they added just so much to the game that specifically this version is the version I play. Like, I don't play Sigma because Sigma has so much added crap in it that's not good and that doesn't service the story or the gameplay at all. Whereas Ninja Gaiden Black, everything is as good as it was in the original with the slight tweaks to everything that people complained about to make it even better. Whereas Sigma, they just added stuff for the sake of making it new so that they could put it on the PlayStation 3. Ninja Gaiden as a whole, like this this game is so fucking good because the combat is so fluid everything just feels so good and even though the camera isn't perfect you kind of get a feeling for where enemies are like you end up getting this like weird sixth sense where it's like you can predict where enemies are going to be even when they're off the screen whereas games like let's say um devil may cry the camera is always kind of pulled back far enough where you can see every enemy in Ninja Gaiden Black, a lot of the times you're in tight corridors or the camera's very fixed behind uh, Ryu, who's the main character, and you can't see everything at once. You end up like having to, like I said, predict where enemies are going to be, and you end up doing it. Like it, it kind of teaches you the attack patterns of the enemies so well that you can predict where they're going to be even if they're not on the screen, which is fucking insane. On top of that, this game has like... A decent story, it's nothing spectacular, but really great cutscenes, really great animation. If you were to put this game in in Xbox right now, I guarantee you probably would predict that, like if you had to guess like what year it came out in, you would probably say like 2010 to 2012, and this game came out in like 2003 or 2004. The art style of the game just holds up so fucking well. And the game performs amazingly. Like, if you're playing it on an original Xbox, I dare you to tell me that it performs poorly because it fucking doesn't. With the amount of shit going on on screen half the time with, like, fireballs being thrown and fucking enemies teleporting in and out, it just... Everything plays so fucking well in this game. If you haven't played Ninja Gaiden Black and you're into action games and you're into games like Devil May Cry... Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, like shit like that, like really straight up hardcore, like action hack and slash style games, you are going to love Ninja Gaiden Black. It it like pains me that the last game in this series, which was Ninja Gaiden 3, was so fucking awful because Ninja Gaiden 1 was so good. And Ninja Gaiden 2, I would argue, is even really good. 
but it just the series went downhill after that but in my mind ninja gaiden black is a fucking classic so yeah it definitely deserves this honorable mention and last honorable mention but certainly not least is final fantasy 7 on the playstation and we're not talking about the Final Fantasy VII Remake. We are talking about the original Final Fantasy VII. This game is the game that got me into Japanese RPGs. Like, this is the one. I remember before this, I played some Fantasy Star, like 2 and Fantasy Star 3. And I think Fantasy Star 4 even on the Sega Genesis. But I just played it because, you know... RPGs were cool and there were fun dungeons and there are mazes and I, I just kind of enjoyed that aspect of it. But Final Fantasy VII, like this game, the story fucking hooked me. It hooked me more than almost any other story for any other game before it ever did. And I distinctly remember my parents taking me to Hollywood, not Hollywood video actually, sorry, I'm wrong. They took me to Blockbuster video and I rented this game and I got into the part where you're in this weird like planetarium and they're showing you the solar system and for some reason the fucking disc just would not load anything after that like it would just freeze on there like i could move my character but i couldn't get off of that so i actually wasn't able to finish the game when i first rented it which drove me fucking insane like literally fucking insane but then i think it was for my birthday or something I ended up getting, no, it wasn't. I actually ended up uh, just saving a shit ton of allowance money and going and buying it from KB Toys. And it was the Greatest Hits version. So I actually have a Greatest Hits version on my shelf right now because that version of the game is the one that I played. But I actually got a Greatest Hits version of the game. Um, had to play through that whole scenario over again because for some fucking reason, I deleted it off my memory card. So I had to, to play pretty much the whole first disc over again. And... I remember getting to the the crazy twist, which I, I'm sure everybody knows, but I'm not not really going to ruin it here. The crazy twist towards the end of disc two or uh, the beginning of disc three, I can't really remember. But like once I got to that, I was like, holy shit! Like this game is, is just so fucking good. Like the story is very anime and nonsensical, but again, it's the first game where I was like really fucking invested in the characters and really invested in the story. And super impressed with like how much they packed into these three discs. Like there are whole things that you can miss. Like you you essentially don't have to get uh, Yuffie or Yuffie or however you pronounce her name at all. Like you can just fucking miss her, which is insane. You have all the Ultima weapons that like floating around that you can kill. There's just there's so fucking much. Like this is the first game where I hit that over like that overworld map. I was like, wow, this game is fucking huge. Like I can do so much stuff. Like why aren't all games like this? Like it was one of those moments where I wanted every game after that to be as good as Final Fantasy VII was. And obviously that that's just not the case because you know Final Fantasy VII is still a classic even to this day. And I fucking can't wait for the rest of the remake. But even after I played Final Fantasy VII, this is the game that got me into the Final Fantasy franchise as a whole. Like, after this, like, every time a Final Fantasy game came out, I asked for it for Christmas. Like, hands down. Like, I fucking wanted it. Final Fantasy VIII got it the following Christmas. Final Fantasy IX fucking got that shit when it came out. The only reason I didn't get Final Fantasy X is because I didn't own a PlayStation. Like, if I owned a PlayStation 2, I would have gotten fucking Final Fantasy X, like, the, the moment it came out. But I was a Dreamcast guy by that, that time. Uh, but yeah, Final Fantasy VII is just, it's so good. It, it's three discs of excellence. 
And even though the translation isn't the best, even though there are definite flaws with the game, it is still a classic in my mind. Like, I still think the graphics overall hold up pretty well. They have the pre-rendered backgrounds that I fucking love. And yeah, the character models look like, like fucking, you know, triangles pasted together. But that doesn't detract from the story that it tells. And it's still just so much fucking fun to play. And that is going to be it for my honorable mention. So now we can finally move on to what, what I think is the uh, the greatest game of all time. So let's do this. And we're finally here, my personal favorite number one all-time video game. And for anybody who knows me, you probably would have predicted this, but it's Halo Combat Evolved on the Xbox. This was actually a really hard game to choose as my number one, only because Halo 2, I probably played even more than the original Halo because of the multiplayer. And I had many, many, many late nights playing Halo 2 on the original Xbox because it just it nailed everything as far as the multiplayer was concerned. It had matchmaking which was like the first time a game had actually implemented matchmaking really well. It had a great party system that didn't break up your your group when you went from game to game. So I had a really close group of friends that we would play pretty much every night. And I worked at Game Crazy at the launch of this game and the hype was huge and then Halo 2 came out and everybody went nuts and there was just so much time clocked into Halo 2. But the reason I'm putting Halo 1 on here is because of the community aspect with the original game that Halo 2, even though it had great multiplayer and you could play it online, Halo 1 had like a better like in-person community, as weird as that sounds. So when the game first came out, I was trying to explain to friends at school like why it was so cool as far as like the single player went. So the single player game, the campaign was incredible. Like the first time you step out of the, the crashed escape pod onto the Halo ring and you look out and you just, there's no fog. You can just see for miles and you have the waterfall in the background and then the Covenant ship comes and there had never really been like a first person game that I had played at least that had that level of like holy shit you're on like a completely different world and you can explore and it's not sectioned off by loading screens and you could just pretty much go wherever and you can rescue the marines in every order you wanted it was just mind-blowing at the time and as the game progressed you could do even more cool stuff like the first time i got into a banshee and was able to like fly around and you know attack enemies in a banshee it's like they have a flying vehicle and a first person shooter and it controlled really well and it was really fun and just the single player was awesome it had an excellent story still one of my favorite campaigns overall of all time but then you get into the community aspect in the multiplayer and when i was in high school i had like a group of friends that i actually somehow convinced to get like some xboxes 
So, like, they were very much into, like, the N64, PlayStation 2. And then I was like, listen, the Xbox has, like, the best graphics, so you have to go with it. So they ended up picking up Xboxes, and then I got them into Halo multiplayer. And they got heavily into split-screen multiplayer. And then anytime one of our, like, parents went out of town or we had enough people where we could get a LAN party together, we would all, like, congregate at, like, friends' houses and get pizzas and just play on LAN. And we had quite a few, like, really memorable parties where it was just, like, me and 11 or, like, 12 or 13 other people all in one house with wires running everywhere because you had to have it like physically networked together to play the games like the like wi-fi wasn't a thing so you had all these crazy wires going everywhere and you had people on smaller tvs and other people were complaining because the the snipers had more screen real estate on the larger tvs to snipe people and it was just nuts and the memories that i have playing that game with just like a group of friends in a house just like talking shit and you had people that were like screen look or you know we would set up custom game modes and play like custom game modes of capture the flag with only certain weapons it was nuts it was nuts not no game before that had ever done anything so cool and that was just like mind-blowing at the time like being able to get that many people together in one place and play a console game was crazy because we all had played some sort of pc games online and even some of us had some LAN experience when it came to online gaming like i had friends that would play like unreal tournament on lands and counter-strike and things like that but halo was the first time like you got a console and you could hook it up to a tv which was bigger than most of the monitors that were around that at that time and play with friends that way was was actually like it was the coolest thing And then on top of that, when I didn't have like, you know, 11 or 12 other people to play with, I would like invite my friend Steve, who's been on the podcast for the, uh, the Capcom versus SNK one. Like I've known him for years since like back in the high school days and the amount of times we would like come home from school and like he would come over my house and we would just play the Halo campaign and we would do the craziest shit. We would do like warthog jumps or try to get out of the level or just do like 1v1s in multiplayer. The, it was just, there was so much game to happen. And it everything looked good. It wasn't like a game that you played and you were like, oh, you know what, this is really fun, but it looks like shit. I remember seeing the Covenant ship for the first time in the single player campaign on uh, Truth and Reconciliation. And they had all the bump mapping on the walls and everything looked very like textured, but in a way that added more depth to it. And I was just always thinking like, how could they use that many polygons? As weird as it sounds being a kid, like that always blew my mind. I was like, all these characters have so many polygons in them and the game runs actually really well. And there's so much going on and they just, they nailed it. Like, Bungie back in the day nailed it with the original Halo. And I know there was a lot of it that's rushed, and people will always bitch and moan about the library level sucking, and that multiplayer was kind of broken because, you know, the pistol killed people in three hits, and all these other different complaints. But back in 2001, when we were playing these games, in 2002, I remember playing Halo, honestly, up until probably 2003, 2004, when Halo 
2 came out. Like, I think the only game that stopped me from playing the original Halo for any significant amount of time was when Xbox Live first came out and I had started playing Rainbow Six 3 and Rainbow Six 3 Black Arrow. Those were the only games that pulled me away from Halo, and that was only for the convenience of online. But I still went back to Halo. I probably have finished the original Halo campaign a dozen times or more. And even now, like years and years later, I'll go back and play it. And not like the the remastered or the anniversary collection, but like the original campaign because the graphics still hold up so well. The sound design holds up so well the voice acting like every aspect of the original halo in my opinion is timeless it performs well enough that you're going to be able to play it today and not see any like huge issues with it which is my big thing for games like goldeneye and perfect dark like if you go back to n64 era and play goldeneye and perfect dark the performance is so bad it's actually hard to play those games but if you go back and play the original halo that's that's not the case like you can go back and play Halo now, and yeah, on an original Xbox, it's going to run at 30 frames per second, but 30 frames per second in that game is very, very playable for for the time and what, what was showing and how the action works. So I know that was like kind of a really long rant about why I love this game, and I could go on forever. I can go on, you know, and go into depth about how it was one of the first games that had an amazing control scheme that translated really well to consoles like you had pcs that had keyboard and mouse and that was the way to play first person shooters but there were games technically before this that used dual analog sticks so you had um i want to say it was alien resurrection on the sony playstation that you actually could use dual analog sticks for first person control in that game uh same thing with like goldeneye if you had the the two n64 controllers I think it was GoldenEye and uh, Perfect Dark. You can use two N64 controllers and two analog sticks to control it. But again, this was the first game to like make it easy and accessible. And it was a game that reached such a huge audience that I think this game in particular like pioneered that control scheme that we have even to this day. And like I said, I could talk about this game forever and ever. But I think I've given enough of my my points and opinions as to why I think this is the greatest game of all time. And if you haven't played it, if you're one of the like two people that has not played this game, please go back and play it. Play it on the Master Chief Collection. Just don't use the anniversary graphics because they're garbage. Or play it like on backwards compatibility on the 360. Play it on PC in the Master Chief Collection or the original Gearbox version. Like this game is is nearly fucking anywhere. So just please play it. I know it seems like it's an overhyped game by this point, but trust me, it's not. It's wonderful, and it deserves all the the praise that this game gets. I will never say that this game is overrated, and that's why I think it's one of the greatest games of all time and my favorite game of all time. But thank you all for listening. I I really hope you enjoyed this one. It was really fun for me to just sit down and talk about like a handful of games that I really love. And most of them will probably come up at some point in time in the podcast. But for now, this is going to have to do as far as my my really constrained thoughts on all of these games. Um, If you agree, disagree, whatever, make sure you, you go to my Facebook page or on my Twitter and just let me know what you think. What are your five favorite games of all time? 
just out of curiosity. I, I love to know people's lists and the reasons why. And it's actually one of the topics that comes up a lot of the time at work. So it, it's really fun to talk about. But that's going to be it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Hope to see you again next week. I kind of have an idea of what what um, game we're covering next week. But it's not a guarantee. So I don't want to spoil it because it's kind of a big one. But make sure you just, you know, every Monday, be prepared for the podcast to drop. And thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I hope you all have a great day, and I'll see you next Monday. Have a good one.